Hi, my name is Nimesh Dial. I'm a practicing rheumatologist in Orlando, Florida. I've been practicing rheumatology for over 20 years. And as I do more of rheumatology, more I realize that we need to do a better job of helping our diagnostic skills. I think we have to now understand that non-radiographic axial spar exists. It's a real entity. We have to educate just not our colleagues, but I think we have to educate our radiology colleagues to the term of non-radiographic axial. But we know that we can use MRI to diagnose early what we call non-radiographic axial spondyloarthropathy. It's all about getting the patients better. So the clinical data available in, in, in research studies are excellent, right? They are they're very good. They're very good in terms of objectivity. The problem with capturing ACS 14 is that these are not these are not practical. They're not logistically feasible. As you know, the ACS 40 captures improvement in patients' function, total back pain, patients' related disease activity, morning stiffness, duration, and severity. The ASDES categorizes them into five scores of back pain, morning stiffness, swelling of the joints, patients' global disease activity and a CRP. Now, what is really nice about these measures when they're used in clinical studies is they really show that getting patients to a low disease activity shows a meaningful improvement in terms of objectively better. The patients feel a whole lot better. So it's very meaningful and the patient's back pain, improvement in disease activity, quality of life have all improved when you get patients to low disease activity. The ACS40 and ACS40 um, you know, it is it, difficult to calculate in the clinic. You know, you, you have a really short time to capture the patient's disease activity. And also, as you know, the ASS require a lab draw. So if you have a lab draw, you're not going to get a result till the next day if you're really lucky. Or you may have to wait 24 hours. And that's where the BASDA is very useful because you don't need labs and it doesn't, it's not very cumbersome. It doesn't take very long to actually capture. It's the best tool we have right now. It captures the, the, the impact of the disease in terms of the fatigue, the back, the neck, the hip pain, peripheral joint pain, anthesis, severity, duration of morning stiffness. Patients don't come to you with, they tell you I'm fatigued because I'm not sleeping well. Why are you not sleeping well? You're not sleeping well because you've got, you know, back pain. My back wakes me up. So, you know, there's all those things that get to, together and you get a totality when you're getting the best diet. It's consistent, it's easy to use, and they can measure patients over time. So in my office, I typically collect the best eye at every visit, and I can see over time whether the patient has had improvement. And then, you know, when the scores are starting to rise, right, then I start questioning the different components of the score. Okay, so what, you know, what has changed? Is it, is it a back pain that has changed? Are you developing more peripheral symptoms? Are you fatigued because you're not sleeping well? And so then teasing out the, diff the teasing out the different components is very useful because then you can adjust therapy or make changes if needed. So the first thing I do is, you know, I explain to the patient why I'm capturing this data. I tell them that, look, there are different components. This is not just a back pain issue. This is a fatigue issue. These are other joints that get involved. And so the scales are very important. And, I, you know, we show them how to do the scale where zero means this has got no impact or nothing going on versus 10, which is the worst in terms of function or symptoms. 
And I tell them, look, if the total score goes to more than four, that means there's something severe is going on. Where it's helpful is I can, as I say, tease out the individual components and, and work with the patients accordingly. So I can say, look, when you first came, this was your score, right? Before we started treatment, this is where you were. Now that you started treatment, your disease has improved. Not only are you feeling better, we have some objective measures that you have improved, but also that allows me to then say, listen, look, this treatment's working for you and you can you need to be compliant with it. So it enhances compliance, right? And patients who are skeptic to start, you know, any biologic are then kind of, you get a buy-in when you show another objective measure, basically. You know, it's, it's good enough saying, hey, you're doing really well, I feel great. But when you show something concrete like this, it's really, really useful. So that's why I find best and most useful in the clinic. I think we use a combination of the ACR, the GRAPA, the guidelines are there to help. That's what they call guidelines. And I'm happy to use the guidelines. I mean, you know, they help us make decisions. But at the end of the day, we have to make practical decisions which are in front of us and depends on what the patient's limitations are, really. I think the guidelines are very useful because when we're discussing therapeutic changes with the patient, you can say, look, first of all, you know, whatever decision I'm making are based on expert-related opinions, right? Also, you know, if a patient is hesitant to go on treatment, you can say, look, based on these guidelines, if you go to 10 rheumatologists, nine will probably do the same thing as I'm recommending, right? Because this is all based on guidelines. Also, you know, using the different measures, the best eye measures are very useful to show patients objectively what has happened over time to the disease. So the guidelines are great for helping us make the decisions and discussing the options with the patient in front of you. You know, an example would be, for instance, using, you know, patients often come to us saying, listen, we want a pill. I just want a pill to fix this. And then you can say, look, yes, the pill is great. But based on the guidelines for what you have in front of you, it's perhaps better to use something else instead of going directly onto the pill every day. So I had this young female who self-referred and she self-referred because she had been going to the gynecologist for pelvic pain and it was waking up at night, you know, and just pain that was affecting her activities of daily living. This was a young 35-year-old healthy girl who ended up in the OBGYN office because of pelvic pain. And the gynecologist said, let me just get an MRI, see what's going on in the pelvis. And there was an incidental finding that a sharp radiologist picked up that there was some abnormality in the sacroiliac joint. This patient was obviously smart enough to you know, do the whole thing for herself. And she said, abnormality in the sacroiliac joint, whom do I see? What do I need to do? And so she ended up in my office. That listen, I have this weird pain. This is the MRI. Can you help me figure this out? And yeah, she actually had true non-radiographic axial spondylarthropathy. You know, I put her on treatment and she's as happy as can be. So these patients are there. They're hiding. They're hiding in OBGYN offices. They're hiding in podiatrist's office. They're hiding in orthopedics office. They're hiding in chiropractic office because these patients have undiagnosed anthesopathy, which everybody's missing or nobody bothers doing anything about it. It's amazing the relief we see in our patient's eyes that, hold on a second, somebody has made the time to think through this, done a proper investigation in terms of clinical exam. So as rheumatologists, I think we need to do a better job of looking for this condition. And I've been doing this for 20 or 30 years. And the longer I do this, the more I realize that, hold on, rheumatology is an art. No amount of x-rays and labs, et cetera, et cetera, is going to help you become a better doctor. You know, over the last couple of years, this whole concept of non-radiographic axial SPAR has now coming into being. So we are now re-educating ourselves 
about this condition. And it's not just about re-educating ourselves, but it's educating our radiology colleagues that, hold on a second, this condition exists. This is what I want you to look out. This is what I need you to report on when I send you for an MRI of the sacroiliacs. So in my practice, we have very specific radiologists who read our films, especially say back uh, sacroiliac uh, MRIs. And that helps us to pick up early non-radiographic axial. It's amazing the amount of times we pick up this disease and because somebody has just managed to write this patient off as a fibromyalgia or a faucet of ANA. So, you know, our, our mission in practice is keep it simple, just look after the patients. That's all that matters. Nothing else matters afterwards. Everything else is secondary or irrelevant. That's how we practice every day.